Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Good morning. My name is Tyler, and I'm one of the pastors here. I'm really happy to see you here this morning. You can go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. We are continuing a series on uh, Jesus on the Christian life. So we've gone through a, a number of Jesus on such and such topic. And this morning we find ourselves with Jesus on missions. A lot of times I, I think, and, and appro- appropriately and properly so, I think the church thinks of missions in terms of TTP, so tactics, techniques, and procedures. I think those are good and well, and I think we need to be doing that as a church. We need to be strategic. We need to understand who we're reaching, why we're reaching them, and what we're reaching them with. We need to even be doing that locally as individual believers, trying to engage the culture around us. But that's not what I want to do this morning. I think what these texts call us to do this morning and what these text beg of us as we read them is is to look and see not at prescribed methods and definitions, but what missions actually require of us. When Jesus is calling us to be on mission, what is He actually asking us to do? And so that's what we're going to do this morning. If you would, go ahead and look with me at Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury your own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Let's pray. 
Father, we come before you this morning. I come before you humbly. God, I believe the task set before me is a big one. I believe that this is a big task because the task that I'm preaching on is a big one. It is a weighty and costly one. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and that, that we would see the reality of, of being called as believers to go into the nations for the sake of the gospel. God, this morning may we be subjected to the word, and not only that we may find joy and benefit in it, but that others may find joy and benefit in it through us. We know your word does not return void, and we don't expect it to this morning. And we pray that in all things we would exalt Christ and bring glory to your holy name. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. So this morning what I want to do is I want to start out by posing a question. I want all that we do this morning to be understood and interpreted in light of this question, and it's this. Are we supremely committed to the mission we've been given and all that it requires of us as a local church and individual believers? Are we supremely committed to the mission we've been given and all that it requires of us as a local church and individual believers. And to do that, we're going to look at three truths from this text. The first truth is this. It's that the mission requires the right mindset. The first reality that we have to come to before we even talk about missions is whether or not we have truly committed to being disciples of Jesus. As I, the, the, the original text I was going to do was just 10, 1 through 2, and I thought, well, first we kind of have to get to this whole point of like, am I committed to the Lord? How am I going to do that? And it's like, dummy, just read the Bible. It's right before that. Like if Jesus is prescribing and describing a way of missions for these 72 people, he's definitely going to make them understand what it means to be a disciple first. And the first thing that he tells these kind of unknowing disciples, we don't know who they are, we don't know their names, he says, listen, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but I can tell you right now that you and I will not have a place in this world. If you are going to commit to me, I want you to know before you even do it, before you think about being missionally, locally, globally minded, understand what you are taking on yourself. This is Jesus saying, listen, you know all of that like sojourners and strangers stuff? That's what this is. If you're going to be a person on mission, you've got to first be a disciple. This is, this is a high, high calling. And what Jesus is saying is that it's going to require a deep sacrifice of you to the earthly things of this kingdom, and it's going to require soul allegiance to the kingdom which lies in heaven. Right? That's verse 62 when he says, anyone who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. What he's saying is if you commit to discipleship, if you commit to following the Lord, then you have committed yourself here and here alone.
this is kind of the reality of this idea that we're living in, in two cities. Right? There's the city of man and the city of God. And what Jesus is saying is that when, whenever you have accepted the call to discipleship, whenever you've committed yourself to follow the Lord, you are going to be living as a citizen of heaven in a kingdom of men. Understand, dear believer, that this is what in Christ Jesus you have committed to. And that is preliminary before we ever talk about being missionally minded or doing missions in the world. I, I do want to be clear, though, that Jesus is, is not saying, hear me. Jesus is not saying, hate the city of man. What he's saying is be consumed by the city of God. Understand that, 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 that what this morning, what, what I am not saying is don't love your country. Many of you are soldiers. I've been in Afghanistan. If I could pass a PT test, I would answer the call again, but I'll never pass another PT test. I understand what it means to be a patriot. I understand what it means to love our country and to honor our country. But, oh dear God, never let me care for this country and live as a citizen of this country more than a citizen of God. And I say that with the greatest humility that I can muster. Jesus is telling them what you have to do is be driven by the gospel. The, the proclamation of the kingdom is the gospel message. This is the message that we have through all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. We've been looking for this king, this Messiah. We thought it was David. There were others that came and they couldn't live up. And what Jesus is saying is you need to go into the world and you need to tell them that the king is here. And what you don't understand yet and what the world won't understand yet is that when the king comes, he's not just coming to overthrow the powers of the world yet. He's coming to give himself to suffer on a cross for the forgiveness of sins. He's coming to collect a people to himself. Go tell others this great news. The one they've been waiting for, he's here. And he's providing every solution to every problem and every answer to every question. But know this, it's going to be hard. And if you're not committed to it, if you're not committed to being called out of the world for this task, then you're not fit for the kingdom. This is a weighty, weighty truth. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 11. Abraham, surprisingly, is a great example of what it means to live as a sojourner and a stranger. 
Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 10 and verse 16. Starting in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. What it means to be a faithful sojourner in this world. And, and mind you, that Abraham is dwelling and living in the land that was promised to him by God in covenant. He's living in the promised land, and yet he doesn't even think it's something to attain a, a, a parcel of land to own except to bury his wife. He's dwelling in tents, and he's doing all of this by faith. The, the danger that we face as Westerners and, and certainly as, as Americans is that I, I don't know if we quite grasp what it means to be called out. Brad mentioned to us last Sunday that the church is the ecclesia, the called out assembly. And we believe that. We believe that we have been called out, we've been set apart to live for the Lord. But my question is, I wonder exactly, oftentimes I really do wonder, what are we saying we're called out of? Are, are we saying that we're called out of a political affiliation? Are we saying that we're being called out of liberal thought? Or are we actually communicating and saying we're called out of the world in total to live in devotion to the Lord alone? We're, we're, we're vulnerable as fallen sinners. Every believer in the world, whether you're in what we perceive to be the greatest country or the worst country, we're all vulnerable to pledging allegiance to a flag somewhere or to a country somewhere and only giving lip service to the kingdom and the king. That's a vulnerability that we face as fallen sinners. And in terms of doing missions, if we aren't properly committed, if we don't understand that being a disciple of Jesus means to be called out of the world and to live for Him, then missions will falter. Augustine of Hippo, he says, he says this about the church living in the world. He says, while this heavenly city is on pilgrimage in this world, she calls out citizens from all nations and so collects a society of aliens speaking all languages. I don't think our danger this morning I don't think any of us are in danger of, of engagement in the country. I don't think that it is a danger to be engaged in local and national politics. 
I think the danger is being disengaged from the mission of God. Hear me when I say that. I think believers need to be engaged in our country, to love our country and to serve it well. But if we do so on the basis of forgetting our main and prime mission on this earth, what are we doing? Why are we even here? I I fear too often, even in my own life, that I act in a way that makes the glory of God secondary in my life to, to my personal preferences, my comforts in this world, and I don't want it to be that. And I think that what Jesus is calling these disciples to, this preliminary call to discipleship is He's saying, listen, your affiliation has to be all here if you're going to go into the world. The truth is that doing missions requires us to come to grips with what it means to put our hand to the plow and not look back. If we're going to do missions, we have to understand what it means to put the hand to the plow and not look back. I think the call there is to be singularly sold out for the kingdom of God and its king. To be totally allegiant to the kingdom of God and its king. I think if we do that, if we're willing to accept this high call to discipleship, if we're willing to come to grips with what it means to live as sojourners in this world, then the next necessary step is to go forth. So the second point is this, the the mission requires us to be incarnational. So there's this little preposition in the Greek language that I was really excited about. And I'm going to skip most of all of it and just tell you that this little preposition here in chapter 10 verses 1 and 2 reveals so much about missions. It's the preposition into. And I want you to look with me really quickly to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. It says this, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. This little preposition that's being used here in 1 John is the same way it's being used in Luke chapter 10. Here in Luke 10, Jesus tells us, After this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of Him, two by two, into every town and place where He Himself was about to go. And He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, 
but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I think what this little seemingly insignificant preposition does is it reminds us that the goal or reason for going is of utmost importance. What Jesus is communicating to these 72 is that you are about to go into a place for a particular purpose. The same way that I have come here to you for the purpose of dying, that men and women might believe and have faith and receive the forgiveness of sins, you're being sent into the world as well to tell them that very truth. I think understanding missions as an, as, as an incarnational model helps us to understand the weight of the task that we've been given. Right? It elevates the gospel message as the most important thing we could do in our earthly dwelling. That accepting the call to discipleship and going forth into the nations, there's nothing more important we can do than share the gospel. But here's the thing. These disciples were not just sent to, to dwell in some place. They were not just sent into these cities to be there and to care and love on these people. I think those things are absolutely necessary. But left to that alone, they are not accomplishing the mission. We do not have the ability to love people to heaven. We don't have the ability to care for people enough or even more than the Lord himself to get them to heaven by just being with them. We need to be with them. We're sent into the places where they are but we must not ever forget that the reason, the primary task that we've been given there is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to a fallen, sinful, hurting world. So when we, we moved here, Chelsea and I had a few different people, a few different people actually approach us, and, and, and they just talked about how they were encouraged that we were willing to come here 11 hours from our closest family, and to kind of come to an unknown place. Um, we, we didn't really know the church. We didn't know the staff. Never heard of Columbus, Georgia in my life. Um, Paul literally took us on a tour of our house over FaceTime, and we came. And some people were kind of encouraged by that, and they said, man, that's, that's really crazy that you're willing to just, like, uproot your family and come to a place and do ministry. And I was like, well, that's very kind of you. 
But as I was preparing this, I was just kind of thinking like, yeah, that's all good and well. Yeah, we've left our family. We're here. We've, you know, we're preaching the gospel. But I kind of wonder if it's so important for me to do that, why have I been so disengaged in the little community that my, my family has transplanted themselves into? I know two of my neighbors, neither of which I've ever shared the gospel with or had a gospel conversation with. I don't think it's enough for me and my family or for you as a believer to just be somewhere. I don't think it's enough to be in your community or your neighborhood or wherever it is that you work and just be the Christian person. I think if we actually understand what the call to missions is and what it requires, the, the idea of it being incarnational is being there as a representative of Jesus Christ and his message. You see, Jesus says for a reason that the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. And I pray that I've not engaged my community because I'm too unwilling to labor there. I pray that we're not a church that's really good at global missions and sending out teams, and yet we find ourselves unwilling to put our hands to the plow where we are. Because what's going to happen is we're going to die, and there will be people at our funerals talking about how much we love the Lord and how great of a Christian we are, and then they are going to die and go to hell. Are we laboring in our families to our mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles who don't know the Lord, or are we just trying to live good lives around them? The call is to not just go and transplant yourself and be, it's to go into the harvest and labor. That's the high calling of missions. And if you aren't willing first to be a disciple, you will never do this. It will never cause you pain when you realize you're not doing it well. We've got to care for people. We've got to love people. We've got to be concerned with social justice. But if we're not proclaiming the gospel... We're not laboring faithfully. The call is to proclaim the gospel, proclaim that the kingdom has come. But there is a bit of encouragement here. Look at verse 2. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. If we have fallen short, may we just see that this is a call to ask God to send us into the harvest where we are. God, may you, in all earnesty and humility, God, I pray that you would use me where I am for your purposes and to your end. I think when Jesus says to pray, it's not really like a trick. 
It's not like, hey, hey, pray, and I may be there or I may not. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers, and he will do so. So I think that this naturally leads us to the last point. It leads us naturally to see what Jesus is saying in verses 3 through 12. Doing missions is difficult and hazardous on many different levels, but there is absolutely no time to waste. Doing missions is going to be difficult. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to make you feel at odds with the worlds at times. But there is no time to waste. And the third point is this the mission requires us to be urgent and serious. Again, I don't, I don't think that verses 3 through 12, I don't think that is a prescribed method that Jesus is giving us for missions. Right? I think he's describing the mission in general, the mission at large. Right? We, we didn't meet with Teddy and say, hey, brother, we're, we're real happy you're going to China. We're going to need you to give us all of your stuff and go. Right? And by the way, don't talk to anyone on your way there. Jesus here is not actually saying, listen, every time you do missions somewhere, you you need to go and give up everything for it that you have on your back. You need to only take one pair of sandals and don't talk to anyone until you get to the place that I'm sending you. That's not what he's saying. What Jesus is saying is that there is a mission that I am tasking you with. I am telling you to go into the world and proclaim the message and there is no time to waste with frivolous things. Don't be consumed by the world on your way to do what it is I've commissioned you to do. Don't find yourself wasting time with people if you're just going to be there and never tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. And I think that really begs us to ask the question, do we love people so little that we have the greatest news ever and we won't share it with them? What are we expecting for people if we're not giving them the gospel to believe in? What are we expecting of a country that doesn't know the gospel at large? Our expectations are here, and yet these are unbelieving sinners that are only acting as they should in the world. They really should be eating and drinking and being merry and living it up while they can because they have nothing that they're actually living for eternally. And yet so often we find ourselves frustrated and angry at these types of people and we talk about them behind their backs, our family members that don't understand what it means to be a believer in politics and then yet we never actually give them the news that could change their life forever. 
Missions requires us to be urgent and serious. There's no time to waste. If the world doesn't end tomorrow, someone's life will. We don't need the Lord to return to be concerned with people's eternal state because people are dying even right now without Christ as their Lord. As Jesus is talking to these, to these 72 disciples as he's sending them out, there, there's no marketing strategy here. There's no ploy. He, he literally just says, hey, by the way, uh, this is going to be real tough. I'm going to need you to go out and share the gospel with the world, and it's going to be kind of like wolves and sheep, and you're the sheep. Right? I don't, I don't necessarily think that like sells a lot. I don't know if the International Mission Board is like, come be sheeps among the wolves. Like, I don't think that's their marketing strategy. And I don't think it should be. <laughs> but Jesus is just telling them, listen to me. Here's what the mission requires of you. If you've committed yourself to following me, here's the next necessary step in the equation. There's, there's no, well, I don't really have the gift of evangelism. Well, I'm not really equipped. You know, I, I kind of get car sick. Discipleship begets mission, period. As a disciple of the Lord, you are called to be on mission wherever you are and in an urgent and serious fashion. Jesus is calling these disciples to be fully devoted to proclaiming the kingdom, no matter what comes. Your allegiance must lie here, no matter what you come up against. The, the, the thing about being so tied to an institution, right, I think this... This is why the Bible talks about our heavenly citizenship so much and so often. Because there is an inherent danger of trusting in the city of man. What Jesus is saying, I think what he would say to us here like, Dear American brothers and sisters, I need you to know that you should be engaged in your country and work for the good of your country. But FYI, if you commit to following me at a moment unbeknownst to you, your country will turn on you and devour you. Because you stand on the basis of the exclusivity of the gospel in Jesus Christ alone. You see, we, could, we can be much more committed here to something than is committed to us. 
The world at large will turn on us and it will devour us as disciples of Jesus Christ. If you don't believe me, read church history. The call is to know who you are and where it is that you're going. So if the mission is, is of utmost urgency and seriousness, then the mission requires us to be eternally minded and to be vigilant and to be urgent. We don't have time to waste. We ought to be living our lives where we are, in our families, at our places of work, Wherever it is that we are vacationing, we ought to live our lives as if truly another day cannot pass without someone knowing the gospel. What shame it would be if the Lord has sent us into the harvest to save the life of someone and yet we were too selfish to labor. And I trust in the sovereignty of God. I am a 5.5 Calvinist, right? I trust that the Lord is sovereign over all things. I trust that He elects some to salvation and that it pleases Him to rip fallen sinners from the gates of hell. And that it is His power alone to do that, but He has given us a task and a part in that purpose. God has always sought to live out His sovereignty on earth through His people. Right, when Jesus is saying, I, I'm going to need you to put your hand to the plow and not look back, He's not saying, well, you know, it's just kind of like a little toy to keep you devoted to me. I'm going to take care of everything. I just kind of need you to stay here and just right here. Right? It's kind of like, it's kind of like a pacifier. Right? We, we have small children. It's like something's, something's crazy. Like, I don't know what to do. And it's like, well, you either need a pacifier, a blanket, or milk. Right? This is not that. This is Jesus saying, put your hand to the plow and do work. Do you believe this morning that you have actually been called to labor in the harvest? And if you do believe that, are you living like that? I've already confessed my failure to you. The point of this sermon this morning is not to talk about how important missions are or the fact that we should be doing missions all around the world. It's asking honestly what is required of me in this task. Lord, if you've told me to do it, what is it you need me to do? Because to the best of my ability, I want to be that.
J.C. Ryle says this in his commentary on this section of Scripture. He says this, Let us declare plainly that we seek a country beyond the grave and that we have no time for the incessant round of eating and drinking and dressing and civility and exchange of compliments in which so many try to find their happiness, but evidently try in vain. Let our principle be that of Nehemiah. I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down to be busied by another task. My hope for the believers of Cross Point Church is that we would find ourselves so consumed and busied with the work of God that all the frivolous, needless things in our lives wouldn't consume us because we wouldn't have time for them. That we wouldn't dare waste time doing something else because we feel the urgency and the seriousness of proclaiming the kingdom that there's no time to come down and be bothered by something else. I wonder, are my neighbors that much of an inconvenience to me that I don't even care about their soul? Is that who I am? Because if it is, I repent. I don't want to waste my life living and being the nice neighborhood pastor. I want to die tired, laboring in the harvest. The question I want to leave you with is this question I've been asking myself for several days. Are we busy with the mission that we have been given? Or do we find ourselves preoccupied with frivolous things as countless numbers of people pass by us without ever hearing the gospel? Are we busied with the mission that we've been given? Or are we so preoccupied with the things of this world that countless numbers of people every day pass by us with no hope and no gospel message from our lips? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for who you are. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that you are an abundantly gracious and loving God. God, we thank you that though we fail time and time again, your mercy never fails and it never fades. God, I pray that you would have grace on us this morning. May we be about the work of the gospel. May we be committed, maybe even afresh this morning, to go into the harvest and to labor for your glory and to your end. God, help us where we are weak. 
God, we profess this morning before you that we are not strong, that we often don't have the words to say, and that we are totally reliant on you, and that that is where we want to find ourselves, trusting in you and your power alone. I thank you that you have given this mission to the church globally, but especially here at Cross Point this morning, that you have commissioned us to go into the world and proclaim the kingdom, to proclaim that Jesus has died for the forgiveness of sins and that those who would trust and believe in faith that he has died for them, will, they will simply be saved. God, there is not this crazy thing that we need to be doing. There's not this huge task that we need to be having all of these plans for. We are just called to go, and everything else apart from that is secondary. May you have patience with us, and we do pray earnestly that you would send laborers into the harvest. And we know that you have asked us to pray this and that because we have prayed this, that you will do this. God, I pray for those here this morning that are like me that find themselves falling short in this task. I pray this morning that they would cry out and that they would repent and that they would see the, the weight of the task, not just of being a disciple and being a believer, living a Christ-like manner, but living that out before people that speaks clearly in action, but also speaks clearly in word. God, don't just let us live and dwell around this city. Don't let countless people in this city be condemned to hell because we have not been committed to labor. We love you. We thank you for every good thing that you've given us. When we, we thank you for the ability to come to you in prayer and to even ask these things of you. And we do so because we know that you are the only God who hears and the only God who answers. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.